गुड इवनिंग एवरी वन थैंक यू सुहासनी थैंक यू अरुण एंड थैंक यू रोहन फॉर ज्वाइनिंग मी आई थिंक पीपल आर स्टार्टेड टू अराइज सो आई स्टार्ट दी पॉडकास्ट सो गुड इवनिंग वेलकम ऑन पॉइंट एंड टूडे द सब्जेक्ट इज क्राइसिस इन श्रीलंका protests on violent clashes had taken place across the country protesters were attacked there were fight between pro government and anti government protesters and this economic crisis is also having a direct bearing on the future of rajpaksas in sri lanka and last time when i asked this question i was told that they still have lot of political capital left so the question today i am going to ask again is whether they have it now and does opposition have enough political appetite to create an alternative and what can bring crisis to an end what roles neighbors should play and why reconciliation between parties is happening so let me introduce my speakers i am joined by sohasni hader national and diplomatic editor of the hindu welcome sohasni uh, rohan samarjiva policy entrepreneur uh, thank you rohan and arun kalatunga political analyst former advisor to the ministry of primary industries uh, and i'm very happy to have him again because uh, the in my last podcast couple of points which arun made uh, did come true uh, he was spot on to to start with my first question and i'll start with arun what is the reason behind violent protests okay i think it's a very very simple answer that um Mahindra Rajapaksa completely miscalculated the feelings of the people and uh, sent in uh, goons to uh, completely destabilize the protest the peaceful protest that were happening at Golface and i don't think uh, the Rajapaksa family at any time uh, foresaw this happening in the terms of uh, it spreading to all the provinces uh, houses of mps being set fire and all of that there were there were intelligence reports and uh, obviously they disregarded those intelligence reports as well because we knew for a while that uh, very um, how do i say militant left party has been organizing themselves uh, for some time now and they were very much present at gotagogama which is where the main protests were being made uh, and 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 from the reports that we are receiving at the moment most of the um, uh, the so called spontaneous uh, uh, demonstrations and the burning the violent demonstrations had been orchestrated by this particular party so basically uh, the rajapaksa family did not anticipate the level of uh, pushback uh, that they would have they got by unleashing their goons on the uh, peaceful demonstrators at um, golface and uh, so so that was uh, i mean uh, completely taken um, unaware and the, whatever the mil- the intelligence reports that they had they didn't they, they they did not listen to those either and sent in the goons and uh, basically uh, this was a return and uh, however having said that there is uh, there was indication that a very radical left party had been involved in this uh, protest for a while and it appears that uh, the most of the spontaneous violent protests that happened outside of colombo that this party has been responsible for that rohan your views on well i think that uh, i agree with the first part uh, the protests uh, were peaceful for 30 days uh, in in colombo as well as in other locations in other urban locations um 
where basically it was they were following the model of Occupy Wall Street, uh, occupying a certain location continuously. Uh, I believe that uh, the government, particularly Mr. Mahindra Rajapaksa, the former prime minister, uh, unleashed goons on two of these locations in Colombo uh, under the mistaken uh, understanding that he could defeat them uh, and clean them out. Uh, but now from there, the number of actors increases. I think that it's not that the protesters were fighting back. There were too few to, to fight back. It was that the media coverage and especially the social media coverage was getting these images out of people being assaulted and so on. And the uh, people from the surrounding areas came and basically, if you look at who threw, the, threw people into the lake, uh, behind, uh, close to Gota Gogama. Uh, it's uh, not these people, not the people who were uh, encamped there, but outsiders. I mean, outsiders means people who are living city dwellers within walking distance. Now, when you talk about the violence that was unleashed across the country, where, for example, ruling party, uh, politicians, homes, uh, properties such as hotels, etc., were were attacked and uh, set fire. I think you really have to see them as uh, multiple actors responding. In one case, there is people reacting from anger. In there, in other cases, people are looting. Uh, I think there's evidence that there was some looting that went on. Uh, in other cases, it's uh, sort of for the thrill of it. Uh, so it's that that it's a combination of factors which is working and uh, unfortunately, despite uh, a number of pleas, including from uh, that, some that were, I was involved in, uh, on the first night, the government has, ma has not managed to get it under control. And every night we expect uh, further bad news. However, there is good news, which is from Nigambo, which is uh, the major town closest to the airport, about uh, uh, 20, 30 kilometers from Colombo, uh, north of Colombo, uh, where uh, a hotel belonging to a ruling party politician was attacked, uh, looted, uh, all regrettable, all horrible things that were done. And in response, they tried to stir up anti-Muslim uh, feelings and attack Muslim homes. Uh, and this was uh, nipped in the bud by um, uh, the by young people from the area and by uh, uh, community leaders, including uh, uh, Catholic priests. So uh, there are attempts to get this under control, but I think once violence is unleashed, it's a little difficult to pull it back. Meanwhile, let me take this question to uh, Arun. Arun, do you, do you feel that it's end of the road for Rajpaksa? You remember I asked you this question last time and you told me that the political opposition is too fragmented to take on Rajpaksa's right now? It, uh, as far as the political opposition is concerned, I think they are, they are still in the same location. However, as far as the people are concerned, they, they've completely rejected the Rajpaksa's as of now. So there's been, a, I would say, a major change after the uh, Gota Gogama attack uh, in terms of the general population. So that, 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 that I think, uh, uh, doesn't forbid very well for the Rajpaksas. However, uh, uh, Sri Lanka being Sri Lanka, I wouldn't write uh, them off as immediately. In, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly uh, pessimistic, 
but uh, it is quite possible that uh, the younger Rajapaksas will will be there uh, in the future. Well, definitely not. Uh, definitely not Mahinda. You you still you still feel that they have the political capital. Do you still feel that the family per se can survive the crisis? Family, uh, family is the older Rajapaksa. So I think I think there is a change. There would be the younger Rajapaksa. So that is I'm talking of uh, Mahinda's son. There is another cousin, uh, young guy called Nipuna. Those guys will survive. Uh, now, as far as the president is concerned. Uh, whether he leaves, if he leaves, I think his political um, capital would be somewhat intact. But if he continues to hang on like this, that political capital would also be dead. So it's going to be very diff it's difficult to, to, to portray them as uh, or, or writing them off completely. Uh, it would be all depends on, on uh, you know, what will happen in the next six months whether we as a country can come out of this with the opposition rallying together. Now, the problem here is that the opposition is not rallying together. They, they are fragmented, as I said last time. So even today, uh, there was an offer that was made for the for the opposition leader to take over. He has refused. He has said that, uh, look, uh, I will only take over if the president leaves. Now, I understand that. I understand where that is coming from. But right now, I think we have to, we have to uh, pull together uh, the central bank governor just about uh, half an hour earlier made a statement saying that if the politicians don't get together, he's going to leave in two weeks' time. So uh, th these are these are acute problems that we are going to have, and uh, I think we have to all work together. But I don't see that uh, working together as yet. Uh, Rohan, did you think? Did you agree with uh, Arun that you, they, uh, that you, they will not be able to? Uh, main differences and work together in future? Uh, well, I think there are two parts to the question. One is, can the opposition or can the political class in Sri Lanka pull something off at this point? And then I suppose there's a sub-question, which is, what is the role of the Rajapaksa family and dynasty within it? So uh, on the first question, of course, you have a parliament where the... 2020 election, 2019 election, which was in the aftermath of the Easter bombings and a national security scare, gave the president a rather large majority. And then the 2020 uh, election also gave him close to two thirds of the seats in parliament, which was unprecedented um, because generally in proportional representation uh, systems, you don't get two thirds. Uh, and so he has a, I mean, basically they have 150 odd MPs in parliament of a 225 member parliament. And that has to, to that's what the opposition is dealing with. The opposition has got only, only about less than 75 seats uh, combined. And that too is fragmented among Tamil parties and ideologically oriented sort of left-wing parties and so on. So, uh, however, there are many uh, attempts being made to pull together a non-partisan, uh, sort of statesman-like figure from outside, which the Bar Association of Sri Lanka, the lawyers, have been working on, as well as uh, a number of uh, religious uh, leaders, uh, to pull together and uh, what what is described as a stable, all-party government to take us out of the woods. So that I, I, I continue to believe is a possibility. Uh, of course, it may fail because uh, as in Lebanon, 
where a similar crisis uh, has occurred, uh, the political class found itself unable to to make decisions. And what we have is with the with the Rajapaksa regime, all the decisions have been delayed. They have been too little, and in many cases, they have worsened the problem, both economically and politically. So that is what the Rajapaksas have done. And these people also seem to be falling into somewhat the similar track. Uh, but I remain optimistic that something can be pulled off. I think possibly that the attack on the violent attack uh, two days ago was in order to derail that process. Now, uh, the future of the Rajapaksas really depends on uh, assigning responsibility and the corruption charges. Now, as far as the, the, the street protests have gone, they have been insistent that the Rajapaksas are responsible for the destruction of their prospects of their dreams. That's basically what the young people have taken to the streets for. Uh, so if it can be established that it was the mismanagement of the, the Rajapaksas, I think there's a very strong case to be made that their mismanagement of all matters economic is what led to this rather than, you know, COVID or Ukraine or whatever. I mean, those were, those were attendant factors, but the core problem was uh, the tax cut in December 9, 2019, uh, the refusal to go to the IMF when the first recommendations came in, the organic uh, story and destruction of uh, domestic agriculture, and so on. So there's a whole litany of things that we can talk about. So if they are responsible, and if that responsibility can be assigned, can be accurately assigned and laid on them, the Rajapaksa dynasty, the, at least the leading Rajapaksas, are done. Now, the corruption story is the second part of it. There are serious allegations of corruption. And during 2015, 2019, the government failed to uh, make any of the corruption allegations against the Rajapaksa stick. So if they can be made to stick, and some of the allegations are also about the younger Rajapaksas that Aruna was talking about. If they can be made to stick, then, of course, their fate is also in question. Otherwise, I think we have just seen the results of the Philippines election, where documented theft of billions of uh, public funds in Philippines by Ferdinand Marcos has now been rewarded by a large majority for his son uh, 30, 40 years later. Uh, these things can happen. So, Hasti, uh, uh, I was asking you that, do you agree with what Rohan said, that a part of Rajpaksa family can survive the crisis? You know, I mean, the subcontinent has a relationship with, uh, with uh, um, uh, dynasties of a nature that we have seen play out over several decades. However, the fact is that the Rajapaksas didn't come to power as a dynasty. In other words, uh, they were not voted in uh, in terms of some dynastic uh, precedent. Uh, it was essentially because of uh, uh, President uh, Mahinda's term as president uh, when he returned, as well as uh, President Gotabaya's uh, term as the, the defense chief that was voted in. They came in on uh, a much more populist, possibly a majoritarian ticket. Um, into uh, uh, and, and really stormed back into power after being in the wilderness for a few years. Uh, but I think on each occasion when they have been voted in, they have been voted in not as the dynasty. 
Uh, it is a different matter that five members of the family were part of the recent cabinet. And I think that's where we must look uh, much more closely at the impact of what we are seeing, not just, as I said, in Sri Lanka, um, but uh, uh, what happened with the Imran Khan government in Pakistan, what happened with the KP Sharma Oli government in Nepal. What we are seeing is people who came to power on populist, hyper-nationalist, majoritarian tickets, eventually, uh, despite being so popular, I mean, in each of these cases, they won huge majorities in their parliaments. Uh, they, uh, in the Rajapaksa's case, there is a two-thirds strength uh, in the parliament. Despite that, popularity can run out. It's not as if anyone is there forever. And I think uh, we are being reminded by the reaction from the streets. And I, I think Rohan was absolutely right when he said the opposition hasn't come together. Uh, it is the people who are protesting who have come together. The opposition still needs to be seen. In India, too, we sometimes say there is no opposition here. Um, uh, there is no counter here. But what we are seeing in Sri Lanka is essentially a push where it does become about the economy. Uh, you know, there's that famous line, it is the economy is stupid. And I think we're seeing that play out, that people's patience does run out. And that's um, uh, that's another point that must be watched very closely because things that happen in the subcontinent end up linking with each other. We're not so connected. And I think finally, India does need to uh, take a much more close look. This is an old one. Countries that are vulnerable in its region become much more uh, susceptible to outside influences, whether it is from uh, you know uh, countries like China or other global players who would like to play a larger role. And again, that is somewhere where India needs to uh, watch what happens much more closely. I think the government is, as a result, uh, taking a very pragmatic stand in saying they will not talk about the government in Sri Lanka, that essentially their assistance to Sri Lanka is based on uh, uh, India's support for people-to-people -people ties. Uh, that it, it is the, uh, it, in fact, the MEA statement says India will be guided by the best interests of the Sri Lankan people. Um, and I think that's the, the kind of point that is being made simply because it seems quite clear that as of now, uh, the leadership in Sri Lanka is not holding sway, whether it is in, in government and possibly in, um, in, in the opposition uh, as well. So I think that uh, Kartike does need to be watched closely. I do, uh, I do take the point that, yes, there is some part of a dynasty at work here. But if, if you ask me, the dynastic factor is on the wane in the subcontinent. Across the subcontinent, we're actually seeing people tired of the old... Uh, um, uh, or the ancien regime, if you like, uh, but also looking for something else. Sometimes they find it in these populist, majoritarian, hyper-nationalist, protectionist um, uh, sort of regimes. Uh, but even that has to eventually deliver and eventually deliver on the economy. So, Swasti, you are basically saying that the politics of uh, cultural nationalism does not yield fruit in perpetuity. Things can change quickly. Absolutely. I think that's what we're seeing and how quickly they can change in Sri Lanka uh, should be a lesson to all. Uh, Arun, do you think that because of a couple of uh, write-ups I read uh, today, uh, at least in the Indian press, which apart from the economic crisis or the mishandling by the Rajapaksas, it's also addressed the issue of cultural nationalism or uh, the word which was used was majoritarian nationalism or singular nationalism. Do you think that those fault lines are also visible in the protests? 
not in the protests. No, in fact, uh, what has happened uh, in the protests is that those fault lines has disappeared completely. So you have the Muslims, uh, the Tamils, and the Sinhalese working together in the protest. But uh, and and in fact, as uh, as Rohan was saying in the uh, issues that happened in Nigambo, about that as uh, thirty kilometers north of uh, Colombo, uh, they tried to uh, uh, make it a. Um, uh, uh, religious or uh, or ethnic issue, and uh, all the people came together and resolved that. So, uh, I, I think it's the other way around. I, I think we are we are seeing uh, some very strong bonding of of the three communities happening at the moment. They are coming together for a uh, in terms of a common uh, issue, and that issue is that you know in in the next couple of days we don't have food, we don't have fuel, we don't uh, we are we are in a very very bad situation. So everybody realizes that. But despite the fact that the fuel will run out. Despite the fact that the food is going to run out, uh, despite the fact that there is violence, uh, there is lack of political consensus. What explains that, Arun? Yeah, that, that's what I think both Rohan and uh, I are saying. As far as the political parties are concerned, especially the parties in the parliament, they are fragmented. Uh, I, I, I have a and, and Rohan was uh, expressing his hope that there would be somebody from outside who will come in. I also agree with that idea. However. Uh, that is going to take. It's taking time, and uh, I, I, th I think, I think, uh, what will happen in the next couple of days is that there will be a new government that will be formed because we had to form a new government, and that will be a coalition of uh, the so-called independents who left the uh, the the uh, government a couple of weeks ago, uh, plus the uh, plus the uh, current government, the current MPs who are still remaining uh, in the party. And maybe few from the opposition joining together, uh, and there will be a, a coalition government or interim government, as they call it, that will uh, that will emerge. But at the moment, it's very very unclear. So the smog of war is uh, you know there, and it's very unclear as to as to where it is heading. I mean, this is what I said last time as well. Uh, there is no clear indication as to what is going to happen, uh, President. Uh, definitely is not going to resign. I understand, I think Rohan may have also heard this, that the opposition, uh, uh, some of the opposition members went and met him and he basically refused to resign. Uh, and he was trying to offer them a uh, cabinet post and, you know, uh, kind of bring them into his fold. So this is going to be a problem until he leaves. Uh, the uh, Sajid Premadas, the opposition leader, is not willing to take the responsibility of rebuilding. And therefore, I think the the only there are two options available to us, and one is the what Rohan was referring to in terms of a outsider, respected politician, or a professional coming in and being the interim uh, prime minister uh, and forming a professional cabinet. And then, uh, on the other option is a, a coalition of uh, members from the current government. Uh, and from uh, the guys who came out of the government a couple of weeks ago saying that they're independent. I'm not quite sure if they're really independent, but still, they have shown some uh, backbone coming out of the government in the last couple of weeks. You know, Rohan, if I may ask, because I asked this question last time also, you know, there are ways democracies deal with crisis. Uh, for example, uh, when economic uh, problems plagued India after 1971, uh, it led to a huge protest movement in India. Subsequently, there was an emergency. Uh, Indira Gandhi lost power. But India also reacted very differently in 1990s. You had Narasimha Rao and Manmohan Singh teaming up. They initiated reforms, changed India's, uh, I would use the word destiny, made uh, both Rao and Singh made liberalization acceptable part of the India's political drama. 
Indians prospered, and I'm sure that there are. Uh, I'm sure that Sri Lanka has uh, many people with the talent of Dr. Manmohan Singh who could who turned India around. So when uh, Arun spoke about the fact that you know the gentleman is threatening to leave, uh, why isn't that sort of uh, leadership coming up whereby people and I'm, this is a comparative question like Manmohan Singh who stayed the country as a finance minister, India, something like that. Uh, why isn't that being tried in Sri Lanka? Uh, so, Hasti, can you take this question? I think we are having a bit of a connection with Rohan. Sure, you're basically asking about um, why you can't have like a technocrat who takes over at a time of this kind of um, uh, of the uh, of this kind of economic crisis. But let's remember, the president himself was seen as a sort of technocrat. He took over, and of course, many of the problems in Sri Lanka were legacies of the previous Rajapaksa government. But he took over at a time when the Sri Lankan economy had been further run into the ground um, by the previous government as well. Uh, his response, uh, perhaps at the beginning, gave a little bit of confidence because it looked like he could take tough decisions, he could uh, pass tough reforms. Um, but some of the decisions that were taken actually ended up being uh, much more devastating for the Sri Lankan economy, for example, banning uh, the import of fertilizers. One of the reasons for that was, uh, of course, to try and cut down uh, foreign exchange use. Uh, but it ended up being, uh, a, a, you know, a double disaster because uh, it uh, ended up meaning that the country that was, uh, uh, the population that was subsistent on agriculture uh, was suddenly thrown a curve. Uh, you had the COVID pandemic come in, you had uh, uh, inflation go up, you had the prices of all kinds of food and fuel, you know, skyrocketing. Uh, it made, it, it, you know, it, it made one wonder whether it is actually uh, uh, the, the necessity of the hour was a technocrat or somebody who actually had perhaps a softer touch and understood what the people were going through at that time. Um, the kind of, uh, uh, you know, sort of, if you like, the perfect storm is, is what is used in these situations. When you look at the fact that you have a Sri Lankan economy that is uh, dependent either on agriculture or on tourism or on exports, and you see the kind of assaults on each of those by, uh, as I said, a combination of the pandemic, the global economic downturn, the inflation going up because of the Russian invasion, of Ukraine, so fuel prices in particular, but also uh, wheat and, and, and other uh, uh, agricultural produce prices going up. And you add to that these kind of policies that were passed in the last uh, couple of years, uh, you actually have uh, the seeds of, uh, you know, you have the ingredients, if you like, of a complete collapse. And I think that's, that's what you're seeing. If you're in a situation where, uh, you know, fuel might run out at any time, you're in a situation where a debt repayment seems unlikely anytime soon, where um, uh, you know you're uh, you you are running out, uh, you know, at, at the bottom of your forex reserves. Um, it, it is because of all of these things that came together combined, and and some of it, of course, as I said, was was perhaps legacy issues. Some of it is because of the loans that Sri Lankan governments have taken and continued to compound on. Um, so I, I'm not sure that the technocrat would perhaps have, have done things differently, but yes, you're right. What is needed now, and I think there's an IMF team in, uh, in conversation with uh, officials in Colombo right now this week, trying to put together a package of what it will take uh, to take Sri Lanka out of this, to um, uh, the kind of reforms they want the government that comes to power there next, 
to uh, put into place. ിറ്റ് So here I think what we had was a person who came in saying that he was going to be an outsider that he was not a politician uh, even though he also leveraged the Rajapaksa name and uh, the Rajapaksa votes uh, who was actually blundering around uh, so I actually documented I just found you know Facebook does these things it reminds you of things that you put up uh, one year ago early may was uh, so 28th of april last year was when the fertilizer decision was announced and somewhere around uh, may 3rd or 4th i had written a piece where i was basically arguing that he was really not basing himself on any kind of data or evidence and that he was being led by fools and charlatans which was actually the actual case uh he was being he was taking the advice of fools and charlatans uh so uh, the technocrat has to be a true technocrat uh, and and um uh the there has to be that political the ability to communicate to the people so there are two stakeholders in uh, the current situation two key groups of stakeholders uh, one is of course the people of this country who are sick and tired of all the shortages and the price rising prices and all that stuff they have to be communicated to that is they have to be given indication of what is being done to uh, manage or alleviate their suffering it cannot be reduced and they have to be told what what reform measures are being taken and why and he is inarticulate he is incapable of doing that uh, every time he gives a speech i think his uh, popularity ratings goes down now the other group is of course the international community because uh, at this moment without bridge financing of uh, in the tune of about uh, us dollars 3 million 3 billion uh, sri lanka cannot uh, cannot get through to the negotiation to the conclusion of the negotiation uh, restructuring of the debt now of course now i was one of the group that went to him in may of 2020 and recommended that we go to the imf because we had a problem because the debt was going to become unmanageable now that was two years ago that we made this recommendations and it was not it was completely disregarded uh, i was part of a group uh, which was headed by uh, dr indrajit kumar swami the former central bank governor so now we are in this dire straits because of the actions of these people and they are making it worse they have made it worse um so in that situation we also need somebody who can communicate with the with the external parties that is the external governments the imf etc so uh, we need a different kind of leader now it could be a uh, sort of a combination of uh, <laughs> manmohan singh and narasimha rao and that uh, analogy has been drawn upon many times uh, in the conversations here in public discourse uh, but i don't think there's sort of some white knight 
some knight coming in on a, on, a, on a white horse who's going to rescue us. It's going to be a collective effort. I think that's very likely. I am also joined by Karthi Chidandram, a member of parliament from Ganga. Karthi, can you unmute yourself? Yeah, hello. Yeah, thank you, Karthi, for joining me. Uh, my question to you is that would you take us through the way the crisis in Sri Lanka is being felt, evaluated, and analyzed in the state of Tamil Nadu? And your thoughts? We are thought? very concerned about what's happening. We are very concerned about what's happening in Sri Lanka. We think this will lead to a influx of uh, refugees coming into Tamil refugees coming into uh, Tamil Nadu now, um, because every time there is a crisis there, the most marginalized sections of the population try to leave, and uh, we are concerned about that. So we want a stable Sri Lanka where the um, particularly where the Tamil interests are taken care of. Um, I know that uh, all sections of the population are equally affected by this economic crisis, but um, we believe that this anarchy should not be. Uh, used as an excuse to further um, alienate and victimize the Tamil pop the Tamil population there. So we are very concerned, and uh, we believe that there must be some kind of direct intervention from India uh, to ensure that uh, Sri Lanka is stable and uh, that all sections of the population are looked after, and there is no uh, partisanship there in, uh, in 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 whatever is going to be happening uh, in the in the days to come. Akati, Ministry of External Affairs had. Uh spelt out very clearly that they stand with the people of Sri Lanka. And uh, this time the approach is very, very different. It's it, it has been spelt out very differently. And I think the support which India can or should give is in terms of economic assistance, uh, financial support, restructuring, uh, food, in terms of barter. I don't think there's any other way, uh, you know, the, the word intervene can also work against the Indian interest. It's a word with strong connotation. I think the help is a better word. No, no, I think help, yes, but help, it has to be conditional help. I think we should have a great say in how the help is being dispersed. Uh, I don't think it should be left only to the uh, to the to the wisdom and wit uh, of the uh, Sri Lankan establishment. I think Indian help has to be conditional and we should have uh, perhaps advisors from India who are going to be monitoring the situation directly on the ground there. I, I don't think should be a very hands-off, uh, neutral uh, um, uh, position at all. I think we should, it, it may be intervention. Yes, has got uh, many connotations, but this has to be conditional help and there has to be direct monitoring by Indian officials. Uh, so ask me, okay. your thoughts and then, are, okay, Arun, you want to go on first? Yeah, uh, basically, direct monitoring is fine, but in terms of what uh, Kathy was saying there, uh, intervention in terms of uh, advices or anybody on the ground, that's going to be very, very negative in terms of uh, the uh, the problems that we've had before between India and Sri Lanka. So, <coughs> as we have been saying, it's uh, it's the aid, the humanitarian aid that is necessary. And at the moment, those whatever that is being done is being done very, very fairly, and uh, and it has been distributed fairly. I mean, even the even if you, I think uh, you may uh, remember a couple of days ago, there was a move by the uh, Tamil Nadu government to bring in uh, uh, specific aid to the the Tamil population. And the Tamil population themselves said, no, we don't want this. It has to be for everybody in Sri Lanka. So there is a coming together, which we have never seen before. And I don't think we should damage that coming together by having interventionist, uh, interventionist policies. Akati, do you... Do you feel that the refugee issue is a big issue? I, I don't think uh, that sort of a, a movement of people from uh, Sri Lanka has taken place. It has not yet happened. 
There's only been a very, uh, very small trickle of refugees who have come. But we do not want a situation by which refugees come in the future. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I do not want to, uh, you know, no, no, to differentiate a aid between uh, on, on people on ethnic grounds. But it's, it is Tamil Nadu is very concerned, and we, we are concerned, and we are legitimately concerned to see how the Tamils are treated, the, how the Tamils are treated in any, every crisis. You know, I, this should not be an, an excuse or a pretext to marginalize them even further. So that's all. We just want, want to exercise abundant caution. We do not. Uh, I am not suggesting that we come over and uh, play partisan politics there. But there are concerns, and Tamil Nadu has, is right, and Tamil people are right in feeling concerned uh, concerned about what has happened in the past, and particularly when when we, if they, the army is going to have a very large role in anything, the army is not a, a multi-ethnic army, or neither has it been uh, very fair. There are, we have very very serious apprehensions about the the conduct of the army. So, so we have to monitor the situation, and I think if 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 people from Tamil Nadu express a, a slightly more interventionist or a more proactive role, you have to understand where we are coming from. So, Hasting, I would like you to uh, come here. Uh, and can you uh, nuance India's foreign policy stand uh, on this issue? Is, is it different this time? Uh, Are you asking me? Well, you know, um, it has been very interesting to watch, particularly this government, because um, uh, the Modi government sort of came to power with this idea that it was going to be more muscular, that it was going to be tougher. And as a result, in, say, 2015, uh, when we saw changes in the neighborhood, um, at that time, too, we had seen a change in, uh, in Sri Lanka in the elections uh, where the Rajapaksas had lost. Uh, we saw uh, a similar thing happen in Nepal, where um, you know the coalition government uh, had had fallen apart, um, and we saw the situation in the Maldives as well. And at that time, it had looked as if the Indian foreign policy was prevailing in a much more muscular fashion. I think there is definitely a shift um, in these crises in the neighborhood that we have seen. Uh, the government is making a point that it is not a factor in any of the situation, you know, any of the de developing situations of the ground. Uh, the MEA has gone out of its way. As I said, this statement is certainly a shift from saying that, you know, it is involved in any way. It's, uh, it, it's consistently repeating that they will stand by the Sri Lankan democratic processes. They will stand by the people. Look at two of the other statements that have been put out now by the High Commission in Sri Lanka, these are unusual statements because they're essentially denying rumors. They're not denying uh, um, anything that has been said officially. Uh, and we saw first a statement by the High Commission in Sri Lanka uh, denying that any political leaders from Sri Lanka had been given shelter in India. Uh, and subsequently, another one uh, that denied categorically the idea that India was going to intervene in any way, that there was any question of India sending troops uh, to help with the law and order situation in Sri Lanka. Uh, so this is coming from a place of, of uh, if you like, abundant caution of trying to say that the government's policy towards Sri Lanka is completely right now being packaged towards the people there. Uh, and uh, as long as protests are uh, peaceful, they are talking, the, the MEA is talking about uh, democratic processes being followed in the country. I, I think uh, um, uh, the, the Indian foreign policy as a result is much more nuanced than we have seen it in the past. I would tend to agree, uh, this is Rohan. Uh, I think the, yes. the, uh, the, the Indian uh, government's approach has been calibrated. 
the various uh, lines of credit, etc., have been conditional on certain things. And I really wouldn't be writing open checks to a government headed by the Rajapaksas. They are irresponsible and they are incompetent. And I think it's very, very, very important for the Indian government to continue to insist that any kind of military uh, military rule is completely unacceptable. I think that's a guarantee uh, that we all uh, wish for. Uh, so definitely minority rights, uh, the rights of the Tamils, fairness, though these are all important things to uh, the people who are opposing this government. Uh, they are, it's not a majoritarian uh, line that is being taken by the opposition. And I think there is a danger of the military coming in. Even today, papers were served on the protesters in uh, in Golface saying that they're in violation of curfew and that they have to move. Mm -hmm. And the army is moving in, uh, but uh, moving in closer to them. Uh, but I think uh, these are things that we have to manage. And I think we need India's help to to manage them. Uh, Rohan very rightly put, but what happened yesterday has created a, a, I would say, a new chapter when the elected representative, mm. uh, the prime minister mm. of a country has to take shelter uh, at a naval base, it changes rules of the game. It just goes on to show that he has lost legitimacy with people and needs to be protected by an institution, which is armed forces. And once they have the leeway, the game will change, Rohan. Uh, could you repeat that, please? People I'm have to be protected by the armed forces? Armed forces. So Mahindra Rajapakse no, has to be protected by the armed forces. Peace has to be, to be maintained by the police. That is the basic rule. The police have to, be, have to be fair. The police have to be impartial. And the police have to maintain law and order. Instead, we have a situation where a deputy inspect, senior deputy inspector general of police uh, is marching with the protesters with the, not the protesters, the attackers, uh, and his photographs are, are public, um, uh, to attack the, uh, the encampment. So the police are not fair, and therefore they, are, they have lost legitimacy. But the army's role is not to maintain internal peace. That is not the army's role. So the army can be brought in in extreme situations, but... Uh, it's really the job of the police, and we have 88,000 police uh, force. It's not a not an insignificant police force that we have. See, that, that, that was the question. Uh, Arun, if you can come on this, that, that was my question. If a if a politician, if a political party starts to lean on armed institutions like army or uh, police force, uh, it's a very bad situation for democracy. Because ultimately, uh, these are the forces which are not to be used uh, to create a political I, 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 order I, I, for yourself. I think, I think there's a misconception here that the army or the police, I mean, police, there were elements of the police who, who definitely, uh, as Rohan was saying, there was a certain deputy inspector general who was siding with the, uh, with the goons. But the army has been very neutral at the moment. They, you're right that uh, Mahinda is now in a naval camp. But that, uh, the, according to our constitution, any former president has to be afforded security that is given to a current president. So at the moment, his life was in danger and he was taken to this Navy camp. So that is not the, arm, the, the Navy or the army intervening in here. That was their duty and he was taken there. So 
uh, and from the from the horrific pictures that we have seen, uh, his life was in absolute danger because I I know this I, I had a I had a nephew who was inside Temple Trees at that point of time, and uh, it was uh, touch and go. So uh, the the navy had to move in and take him out and uh, put him into uh, the Sob Island uh, hotel where he's been protected. So that we have done for almost all our presidents. Uh, and that is part of the constitution that they be afforded the security that they 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 uh, need, uh, and that especially with the LTT uh, issues that were there, so that that whole um, security uh, assessments are there. So, therefore, the security assessment here was that his life is in danger and he has to be removed from the location. It doesn't mean that the army or the navy or the armed forces are are supporting him or or, or have moved in 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 support of uh, the Rajapaksas. In fact. They've been quite fair, you know. I mean, uh, today we are getting reports that uh, while the police have announced uh, uh, that the curfew would be uh, would be imposed uh, in Gotagam, uh, the army is allowing people to come there with uh, food items and uh, essentials that uh, is necessary to keep the keep the protesters going. Arun, apart from this, the fundamental question is that does this protest movement of political uh, instability in Sri Lanka can recreate uh, a different constitution? Last time you said that there is a possibility. Sri Lanka is an executive presidency. People want some some form of parliamentary checks and balance. There have been write-ups, editorials and talks about it. But do you think that it's a possibility? Uh, will that be allowed? It is a it. No, it is a possibility. It is definitely a possibility. But to do that, the opposition political parties must come together. And that is where the, the, the sticking point is now with the, the uh, opposition political parties, especially the uh, the main opposition political party, whether they are going to part, uh, participate in this process. And without them participating, it's not going to, um, to be a success. So uh, I hope uh, sanity would prevail uh, with the, the, the main opposition party and they will come to the table. At the moment, they are saying, look, I mean, uh, president has to leave for us to come to the table. It, that may not happen because constitutionally it's not possible for that to happen. So the only way it can happen is uh, basically uh, for the president to form an interim uh, cabinet, uh, which he can do. And then uh, change the immediately change the uh, the twenty first amendment or bring in the twenty first amendment to change the twentieth amendment and bring in uh, much more broader democratic uh, changes to the constitution, which were there in the nineteenth amendment, but uh, they were they were sidelined uh, with the twentieth amendment. So that has to come back, uh, maybe more strengthened, in fact. Uh, and and at some stage, I believe the presidency has to go. And it will be a president. There is a problem with that. The problem is that uh, we have this 13th Amendment, which is the Provincial Council Amendment to the Constitution. And uh, to keep the 13th Amendment going, which has been guaranteed by India, uh, we need to have an executive president because that is how the Provincial Council will work with the, the support and the, and uh, I would say, sucker of the president. So for that to happen, uh, president has to remain, but in a very, uh, how would I say, a muted form. But do we really, Aruna? Because if you look at the 13th Amendment, it's modeled on the Indian Constitution. I think the whole transaction was that uh, what the Indian Constitution, no more than what the Indian states had. So India manages to have uh, all the states operating independently with a uh, under a cabinet form of government. The idea that you need a president and the cabinet cannot play that role, I think, is a bit of a red herring. 
to be honest, uh, uh, this this is a referee that comes from the the time of J.R. Jawadena. So yeah, uh, he he said that in, it has been inculcated to into us. Yeah, but you know, I think so, the, the, the uh, uh, Rohan, my request I, is I one person at the same time. Were happening. Yeah, uh, Rohan, one I person at the same time. Okay, I was there when those discussions uh, were going on, and it was basically modeled on the Indian Constitution, uh, in the concurrent lists, and all these things. So, if you can do the Indian Constitution with uh, with a with a cabinet form of government, I really don't see the point of uh, of saying that an executive presidency, a strong president, is essential to to implement the Thirteenth Amendment, which has never been fully implemented anyway. Uh, yeah, that's what I said. It has to be a muted form of presidency. And not uh, and not uh, the strong presidency that we have now. It has to be some some muted form. Okay, so Hasni, do, so Hasni, do you agree that this crisis can lead to recreation of a new constitution? Is it a possibility, or you feel that the Gotabaya Rajapaksa will use it like a ruse to tide over the crisis? Well, I I think you know you're looking at a situation which right now is extremely volatile. One will hope that the violence we are seeing. Uh, it does not uh, does not flare out of control already today. There were shooter site orders um, put out by the president and and, and by the security forces. So uh, the the first uh, priority I think is going to be to somehow control the violence. The second will be to somehow deal with the political stalemate that we are seeing, as um, uh, you know, both Aruna and Rohan have described. The fact that nobody wants to come to uh, uh, the government unless the president resigns, and the president is not going to resign, and the way the parliament is, it's, uh, he, it's unlikely he can be pushed out. You are looking at a political stalemate as well that you know the, the, we will need to see in the next week or so who the new uh, government in Sri Lanka will be. After the political stalemate, you are then dealing with the economic crisis. And uh, here, uh, you know, regardless of who else gets involved or, or intervenes, the fact is the IMF is already now in discussions for this package. Uh, they will bring in their own uh, interventions and their own uh, recommendations for the country to go through with. It is only on the basis of that that Sri Lanka will be in any condition to actually uh, get uh, the bailouts it needs, get the bridge financing it needs. Um, so that is going to be the next priority, uh, I think. And in terms of the constitutional crisis and bringing about a different constitution or in, in uh, implementing the amendments or the promises of amendments, the federal um, uh, devolution as well that has been promised, these are now going to be put on the back burner, according to me, uh, simply because you're looking at such dire crises inside the country uh, it is going to need many more bailouts, many more, um, uh, you know, a, a, a real helping hand from countries like India uh, when it comes to ensuring that there's fuel, that there's food, that there's uh, rice, that um, uh, even things like milk powder that are in short supply are, uh, are provided to the island. And, and remember, this is all happening in the middle of the pandemic at a time when tourism is in any case in, uh, in dire straits. Uh, and and these are the areas where uh, Sri Lanka needs to you know recover its it, in order to recover its economy. It will need uh, a, a, an absence of violence. It will need law and order. It will need tourists to re return to the island. 
uh, it will need um, you know some semblance of a government and the IMF making its uh, uh, position clear for uh, you know the, for exports and other um, economic activity to take place. So I, I really think they're looking at right now at such a dire situation that uh, a lot of these other issues that have been there for decades in Sri Lanka will have to take a back burner seat. Yeah, if I could add uh, just okay. something to now, Suhasini very clearly says, very correctly says that nobody is willing to come in under a president with the extraordinary powers accumulated under the 20th Amendment, the current president, and who is in complete, uh, well, let's say nobody really wants him there. Uh, they don't want to come in and be subject to his whims and fancies. So that's a deadlock. He's not willing to go. They are not willing to come. Now, there is a way out of the deadlock, which is the to get rid of the 20th Amendment and the Bar Association uh, document, which has the one, which is the document with the greatest uh, support that I have seen in the last little while, uh, proposes a way of breaking that impasse. That is to fast track the 21st Amendment in the sense of getting rid of all this excessive power concentration that was given to the president. And under those conditions, I think a, 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 a prime minister can function. Now, I think the pressure for the president to go will continue. And if he has any sense, he will leave. But I think we can break the deadlock, uh, break the impasse by using this uh, other method. If I may, <laughs> one last comment, uh, Karthik. I think uh, yes. economic stability and political stability has to go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And uh, without having political stability, we cannot have economic stability. And that's the long and short of this. So we have to have political stability first. And I, I believe the central bank governor made a very, very strong point about that today, saying that if not there is political stability, that he will actually uh, leave his post. He was just appointed. He was brought back from Australia. Uh, to hit the central bank, and he's just saying, "Look, if there's no political stability, I can't do this." So uh, we have we have to first get the political stability first. You know, the question is, is, and you know, a lot of people ask this in India: the people who defeated LTT, uh, how did they go wrong so quickly, uh, and so, why were they so off the mark, Rohan? How did they go wrong? How did Sri Lanka go wrong? The Rajapaksa, the no, Rajapaksas have been doing things wrong uh, for a long time, but Sri Lanka has had an underlying problem. I mean, my analogy is we've had sort of, a, you know, something like diabetes, uh, incurable condition that could have been managed, that we could have recovered from. But the Rajapaksas, through their behavior, from taking the commercial high interest commercial loans in 2007 and using it on, on and not actually developing the export oriented sectors, but doing, you know, stadiums that nobody goes to and airports that no planes fly into and things like that. They exacerbated the problem. So we we had 4% commercial debt in 2004 and we have over 50% commercial debt, that is ISBs, high interest uh, loans uh, in uh, two years ago. So this is, uh, this is something that was created in the last uh, 15, uh, 12, 15 years. Uh, and that is uh, that that is the kind of politics that the Rajapaksas did, and it is that responsibility that is being assigned to them and saying, let's get rid of the Rajapaksas from the political arena. That's what the young people are saying. 
So uh, we are in this fix. And I think the, the underlying problem of the twin deficits, a perpetual continuous uh, fiscal deficit, uh, not exporting enough, uh, these things have to be fixed. Uh, but uh, the immediate problem is how do we get rid of this, uh, Get how do, do we get the debt under control? And that's a restructuring process that involves multiple parties, not just the IMF. Okay. And Arun, who is that one leader uh, under whom the Sri Lankan organization can organize itself? That's difficult for me to say. I believe, I believe, uh, I believe uh, Rohan has a different idea to me in here. I don't, I don't see uh, that leadership uh, at the moment. Uh, there, there is, a, there are one name that has been mentioned, but um, you know, I work with this particular person for a while, so um, I, I don't know whether he's uh, at this moment of time whether he can do it. But if he gets the support of everybody, maybe he can pull it out. But uh, having said that. At the moment, uh, it has to be a coalition of... Did you say the word Ranil Vikram Singh, Arun? No, I didn't say the word Ranil okay. Vikram Singh, I know. Uh, it is like, <laughs> the, the, the consensus that is emerging right now is not for Ranil. And Ranil is also not willing to take the, uh, uh, the uh, burden of doing this at the moment. Okay. And lastly, so I think... It's going to be difficult. And lastly, Swasti, do you feel that uh, India's foreign policy position can change if uh, the crisis continue, uh, political instability continue to prevail in Sri Lanka? Uh, do I see the foreign policy situation, uh, foreign policy remain the same or? Yes, India's foreign policy posture vis-a-vis Sri Lanka. Well, I, I think um, for the moment, the government has already made a shift. As I said, you know, if you look at the statements that came out up till May 3rd or so, uh, even though these protests have been going on for more than a month since the beginning of April, up till about May 3rd, May 5th, the government was actively talking about dealing with the government and people of Sri Lanka. Yesterday's statement makes it clear that the government is now distancing itself from uh, the government of Sri Lanka's actions and saying that we will continue to support economically, but we are, you know, uh, without naming the Rajapaksa, without naming anybody. And then making it clear that no, the uh, leadership of Sri Lanka has not been allowed to um, uh, come to India right now. Uh, and, you know, those kind of statements as well. Uh, I think now the government is going to watch and watch very closely. There are going to be asks from New Delhi. Uh, one is, of course, going to be in the, uh, uh, you know, for, for uh, um, you know, the debt waiver to be extended through the Asian Clearing Union, for example, or for the credit lines to be extended further, uh, more fuel, more food, uh, possibly will be asked of India. But it is also possible that the government could be asked for some kind of, uh, you know, consultants. Uh, to go over and to help with some kind of, a, 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 you know, solution to the economic situation over there. I don't foresee a larger uh, presence in any other way. Uh, I take uh, Mr. Karthi Chidambaram's point that particularly in Tamil Nadu, you are going to see many more concerns about uh, the situation for people, particularly in the North, the worries that the North will get uh, neglected even further if, uh, uh, you know, if there are going to be food shortages, if there are going to be, and hopefully there won't be, but. Uh, but there are going to be further, uh, you know, uh, 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 hardships for the people there. Um, we have seen a very small, as you said, a trickle really of people fleeing uh, the situation in Sri Lanka right now. But if the violence continues, 
will we see more coming? Uh, I think yesterday and day before we saw 16 or 17 or 20 people coming across at Ramnathapuram. So um, uh, these are all going to be areas where the government has to watch and watch very closely. Uh, I think the foreign policy will, as a result, have to be very dynamic. Uh, this is not a situation that is going to be, you know, fixed with just the change in government, for example. But you will see at least an easing of the protests if there is a, a, an alternative government formed. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I completely uh, agree with you, Swasin, and I think at the end of it, my uh, takeaway from the conversation you had is that I think political stability is required in Sri Lanka for the economic initiatives to take root. And Sri Lanka requires help from the neighbors and not intervention. So on this, I would like to thank you, Suhasni, Arun, to you, and Rohan, uh, to you also to make time at such a short notice because we spoke yesterday. So thank you, all of you. And... Uh, and I hope we get to organize more such podcasts uh, on India's neighbor. And I hope all of you make time to participate in them. Thank you so much. Thank you, all of you.